has brought us some pretty bad news right before we met together to worship. I mean, one week it was down in Florida. The next week it was in West Virginia. Then Dallas. Now in France, Turkey. But I want to remind you, God is in control. Now, everybody wants you to watch their program. They want you to watch their news channel. They want you to tune in at 11 o'clock or 9 o'clock or whatever. And so they're all trying to work us up into you know, a frenzy so that we'll come to the television or the internet site and they'll get that hit. And somehow that is to their advantage. Don't lose touch. Don't let the ballast go in your own life. God is working. He is saving people. He is delivering people from darkness. Yes, He is. And when His people suffer, God works in great ways. It's just a reality. I promise you that that in Turkey today, if if there's bad things going on there, I'm telling you the believers are being used of God. In France today, I'm, I'm telling you, God is using His church to reach people. I was at a conference recently and there was a man in front of me. He was clearly uh, Arabic. He was, you know, looked different than me. And, and at, at a break in the songs, I, I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? And he paused for a long time. told me his name. I never really understood his name. He's a believer from Iraq. His ministry is to, to minister to those who have been abused and, and hurt through ISIS. This is what his church is doing. And I, and I as you would, was, was just struck by, by just compassion for him. And How are you all doing? And how can we pray for you? Is there any way we, we can help you? How can we help you there in Iraq? You, you poor suffering people, right? It came through. He smiled at me. He said, Pastor McDonald, the church in Iraq is fine. God is using us in a great way. And it just was a reminder. Here was a man who was, around, was with people who were being tortured, who were having family members killed. And he says, don't worry. The church in Iraq is fine. Folks, we have a great God. And He's working all around through all these details. I don't understand it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming I understand it. and I'm not claiming that I don't get nervous and, and I weep with those who weep just like you do. I understand that. I, I'm not meaning to be calloused or cavalier or anything like that. But at the end of the day, I know God is in control. And I know He has a plan and He's working that plan. And I, I'm, I'm trusting that, that maybe in His grace we'll get to see some of that. Well, you probably don't know it, but you are actually looking at a, a, a recovering addict. Um, I haven't really talked too much about a struggle in my life, but I think maybe this is the day to share. Um, I stumbled into this problem in 1977. I was only seven years old. And yeah, there, there is some, uh, there's some evidence in my house of this problem that I had clear back in the late 70s. I was seven years old, okay? Pretty young to start into an addiction, I know. Unfortunately, um, after four or five difficult years, the Lord finally delivered me from it. I was addicted to football cards. And um, I know it doesn't sound that serious, 
But let me tell you, many, many miles of pedaling from my house to Harmon's little store in Kaiser, West Virginia, spending every single dollar that I had on another pack of football cards. Anybody else a fellow football or baseball card addict? There's a few of us, yes. I fell into this in 1977. And for like the next four or five years, I was like, you know, OCD stuck on. I had to have every single football card. And I do, still to this day. 1977, 1978, 1979, 1980, I got them all. And I remember it was like the one thing that I wanted for Christmas is boxes of these football cards. And back in that day, if you're a collector of cards you, I, that I know of, I don't know if you could just buy like the set of cards. I think you can do that now. You can just take, you know, I'll take the whole set, 2016. Man, you guys got it easy. In my day, we had to open up every one of those packs Okay, you had to chew that awful bubble gum that lasted for like 30 seconds, right? And you had to work your way through and you get the same old card over and over and over. Another one of those, another one of those, another one of those. Hey, a rookie Earl Campbell score. Anybody know that name? I know Matt does, yeah. I remember my dad and my mom for Christmas. That was like, you know how a lot of times in Christmas celebrations, like you save the best gift for last, okay? Mine was a box of football carts. It would, be a, it would be a small box, you know, probably like 8 by 11 and about 4 inches deep. And inside would be maybe 50 little packs of football cards. They would save that present for last. And, and, you know, we would tear through all our presents and I'd take that one and I'd slowly open up every single one of them and just start working my way through. And, and every time I got a little bit of extra money, you know, for mowing grass or, or selling um, greeting cards door to door, remember doing that, some of you? I get a little bit of cash when I'm eight, nine years old. I would ride my bike into town to Harmon's and I would go in there and I'd buy more of them. I think they were 25 cents for a, for a pack of cards. And I'd go home, I mean, busting with excitement to open them up. I remember one time my mom said to me in one of these little, you know, sort of fits of just ravishing through these cards... My mom said, Mickey, will there ever be enough? There's a lesson there. There's a lesson. Will there ever be enough? I had them all. Eventually. But it wasn't enough. Next year was coming and I had to have them. I mean, it wasn't really an addiction. I know that. But it was a sickness. It was a problem. And as I grew up in years, it started showing itself in other ways. This desire to have more of something. To have one more. To have one a little better. To have one like that. To have one like His. To have one as nice as theirs. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it is a sickness in our lives today. I told you they want you to watch their shows. See, they want you to tune in at 11. They want you to tune in at 10 o'clock. They want you to watch. Why do they want you to watch their shows? You ever thought about that? Why do television programs even exist? Why is there like 19 of these, you know, CSI, this, why? Why does television exist? It does not exist to entertain you. No, it doesn't. It does not exist so that artists can, you know, work on their craft. That's not why they exist. It exists to get you to buy a product. 
That's the whole reason that it exists. Television, all, all of the, everything out there, every form of media, it all exists for that advertisement to grab us and to convince us that there's something else we need. It's an ancient problem. It goes all the way back to the garden where God's provision wasn't enough. Eve, look at this tree. Look at the fruit. We can eat from all the other trees. We can eat. Yeah, but don't you want this one? Wouldn't this be tasty? It looks good, doesn't it? And it will satisfy you. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Go with me, would you? We are in the last of the Ten Commandments. And it may be the most difficult one to see fruit in our life. Exodus chapter 20. We've been studying through verses 1 through 17. It's a slow road to go through the Ten Commandments to walk through every single one of these and understand what they mean and, and try to unpackage what is meant by the Ten Commandments. It's not a method for you to earn your way to God or to earn approval. This is not God's ten rules to identify His you know, favorite people. It's not a good way to earn favor with God. That's not what this is. Ultimately, this is a reflection of God. These ten commandments show us what God is like. They, they depict for us in written form what the character of God is like. God is exclusively the only God who must be worshipped in His way. And His name must not be used in vain. And we need to follow the rules that He has established. Even arrest. We are to honor the authorities He has placed in our life. Our parents and many others. We're to cherish life. To cherish truth to cherish marriage and sexuality we're to cherish the provision that god places in our life and not not seek to take something that isn't ours and now we come to the final element of trust the one that i think might be the hardest you know maybe through effort i can maybe tell the truth you know, when I walk through the aisle at Walmart and I see that Snicker bar and I think, man, that thing would be good. You get a cup of coffee and a Snicker bar, there's nothing better than that. But I don't have any money. See, through effort, I can choose not to steal that candy bar a lot of times. You know, just through, just through hard knock effort, I can do that. But coveting? Oh, man. Because see, now we're not just talking about what we do. We're talking about how we feel. We're talking about what we think. We're talking about something that God and me, that we, He and I, are only potentially even a know of, have any knowledge of. Wanting that thing. And I can hide it. I can hide it. Let's read it. Verse number 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife 
or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or for that matter, anything that is your neighbor's. We have here a call from the Lord to not seek joy in what we might have from other people. Trust God for our joy. Trust Him for our joy that God has given me great blessings. And He's given other people great blessings. And the things that God has provided for me bring me my joy. Now what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to start out and, and we, we need to define this thing of coveting. We need to understand what this is. And to do that, we're going to bring in a couple of Bible passages and we're going to bring in a couple of words. Okay? There's three words I'll put up on the screen here. They're coveting, jealousy, and envy. We're going to talk through these and try to understand what the Lord desires for us. Now, Pastor Roger read from Psalm 37. Why don't you turn there, okay? Go to Psalm 37 and, and see here what we have written out for us from the pen of David. The psalmist here, and he says, right at the get-go, and this happens throughout Scripture, this issue comes up again and again. Psalm 37, verse 1. Of David, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Now, when we talk about envy, there's a couple different words in the Bible that we can use that, that mean something similar. And my first goal is for us to understand what it means to envy and what it means to covet and what jealousy means. Let me give you a definition, okay, first of all. First of all, let's do a jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy is the fear of losing something that you believe already belongs to you. It's a fear of losing something that you believe already belongs to you. God is called a jealous God. You know that? It's there in your Ten Commandments. He is a jealous God. You might say, well, wait a minute, I thought jealousy was a sin. As a matter of fact, it isn't. Nowhere in the Bible is jealousy called a sin. Jealousy is a fear that I'm going to lose something that belongs to me. Now, Proverbs warns that, that jealousy is like the rage of mankind. And that men and women do bad things when they're jealous. But jealousy on its own is not, as the Bible describes, sin. So then we go to coveting, okay? Coveting is the desire of that which is not yours and is currently unattainable. So you can't have it, but you want it. Coveting is seeing something and you want it. It's not yours. It's not attainable, so you just can't go buy it. You can't have it, but you want it. And Exodus 20 says we can covet people, we can covet things, we can covet relationships, you can covet houses and homes and cars, you can covet relationships, husbands, wives, children, marriages, you can covet people's Facebook pictures, the experiences they have, their bicycle, their hike, their swim, their vacation, whatever. 
We see this thing, and I want it. I want it. And it isn't mine. Now, coveting is a sin. Covetousness is called idolatry. Wow. Idolatry. And then we have a third word. Envy. Envy. Now, envy is wicked. Coveting is sin. But envy is another level of wickedness. Envy is the desire for something that's not yours. So it, it's, it follows coveting. You covet, you want something, but you aren't envying yet. Envy is when you have bitterness or, or hatred towards the owner. You covet the thing they have, so you hate them. Because who are they to have it? I deserve that thing. Can't stand him. Look at him driving around on his bicycle. Whatever it is. Okay. Now to help you with this, i got some artwork to share with you. I wanted to sort of illustrate this. So go ahead, Aaron. So here we have this, these two lovely couples. Okay, we got Jim, Jane, and Sally and Sam. They're married, and they're happily married as far as I know, okay? Don't laugh at my pictures. Jim and Jane are there, very satisfied. She's not the most attractive woman in all the world, but hey, he loves her with all of his heart, okay? Sam is, well, he's just Sam. Now, one day, Jim notices Sally. Go ahead, Aaron. And he covets her. He likes to look at her. He likes to talk to her. He's coveting his neighbor's wife. He's violating the Tenth Commandment. And the wicked thing about coveting is this. It affects everybody around. First of all, it affects Jane. Jane's jealous. She's jealous. She has every right to be. She sees her husband looking at another woman. And she says, you're going to take from me what's mine. We are one. And you're going to take that away. So she's jealous. As I said, Proverbs warns about jealousy. Listen, for jealousy makes a man furious. And he will not spare when he takes revenge. And listen, let me, let me tell you, I just, this is parentheses, wasn't planning on talking about this, but just be warned. Be warned. I've, I've dealt with these couples. I've dealt with the Jim and Jane at this stage. Alright? And sad things happen. Hearts are broken. Hearts are... Relationships are hurt and it, it is nearly impossible to mend it. Men and women coveting is a very dangerous thing. But it doesn't end there. Now he envies. Now he envies. And an envious man or woman will, will move to harm because it is hate. This is why 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not envy. Love does not envy. You see, Jim is not loving Sam now. As a matter of fact, he hates him because he wants his wife. 
You see the difference here? Coveting is for an object. Coveting is desiring an object that would be yours. Now, don't let these pictures, you know, take us to the wrong place. It's not just your neighbor's wife. Oh, no, no, no. The law is very clear in Exodus 20. Or your neighbor's house, or your neighbor's donkey, or your neighbor's male servant, or your neighbor's, neighbor's female servant, or anything else. There is danger here when we drift into coveting. When we drift into envy. I tell you, I've honestly been looking forward to this sermon for six months. For six months. You know why? i just tell you, this, this is just me and you talk now, okay? You know why? Because I've been praying, Lord, I want to know how to slay this envy monster. You know, as we study this together, just really, I've been praying, just give me insight, Lord, because, man, so many people are battling this thing. It's just this hideous monster that's destroying so many people. I just see it all over the place. So God, give me an insight here that I can figure out how to, how to slay this thing, how to, how to work on this thing, how to, how, to, how to snuff this thing out. God, what can we do about envy? That's been my desire. That's been my desire. I've, I've looked forward to dealing with it. Alright, go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And let's look here at a man who's trapped in envy. A man who's trapped in envy. And I think in this we will find the nugget of truth that will set us free from coveting and envy and the damages that it is to our own lives, the destruction that it is to our own soul. We will find what we're looking for regarding envy. Let's read. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph, the, the author here, says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs unto death, Their bodies are fat and sleek, which is a good thing in that culture. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, 
I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until until I went into the sanctuary of God. And stop there. Man, I love the truthfulness of this song. You see, envy and coveting and jealousy, in a lot of ways, they're an emotion. They're a feeling of the heart. They're a direction of your, of your mind towards something. And so how fitting for us to go to the emotional handbook of God's people, the book of Psalms. And we get into the heart and to the mind of a man of God who's dealing with envy. And I believe that we have here the one secret to dealing with envy. I'm telling you, I'm so excited. I think I've figured it out. And I want to share it with you. But before we get there, we've got to see how bad it is. Okay? So we'll get there. Verse numbers 1 through 10, though, show us the sad trap for a double-minded man. A sad trap for a double-minded man. I say it's sad for, for a couple reasons. For a couple reasons. One is, is this is, I mean, it is, it is very specific. It is aggressively moving throughout all of, that we see, and it is destructive. I mean, it is, it, we, we see this all the time all around us. And it, is, it takes a double-minded man or a double-minded woman and twists them around in no time flat. Like that, a double-minded man is a victim to envy and to coveting. Not just Asaph either. Not just the author here. Let me just, let me just mention some other biblical writers that dealt with envy. Okay, and I'll just read this quickly from their passage. David, we already saw in Psalm 37, okay, spoke of being envious of the wicked. Jeremiah, listen to Jeremiah 21, just, just a couple of verses. Why does the way of the wicked person prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? As Job 12, or, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 12. But even Peter, even Peter, the apostle Peter, after Jesus resurrected, Jesus comes to Peter and He says, listen, you're going to die for, for the Gospel. You're going to be martyred. You are going to be martyred. You see this in John chapter 21. You're going to be martyred because of the Gospel. You know what Peter says? He doesn't say, oh God, I'm not worthy. He doesn't say, oh God, sustain me. He doesn't say, oh God, you know, bring me through this. You know what he says? Oh, what about John? What about John? Is he going to be martyred? What about John? Jesus says, don't you worry about him. Over and over and over. It's, a, it's, it's the sign of a double-minded man. The believer who struggles with envy. Because we have eternity in our hearts, but we see these things we'd like to have, and so we're stretched like a double-minded man. And that man, James 1, can expect he received nothing from God. Envy. Envy. Well, let's look here at some of the baits. Some of the baits in this trap. B-A-I-T. The baits in the trap of envy. 
Okay, look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4, look what it says. For they have no pangs unto death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. The first bait is prosperity. The first bait in the trap of envy and coveting is prosperity. Everything seems to go well with them, Asaph says. They got it all, and they have no trouble. Everything works. Their car runs. Their hot water heater never leaks. Their kids were obedient. They look so pretty, and they can kick a ball really far. Well, this isn't fair, right? The psalmist here is out of control. He's out of control, and he's lost touch with reality. He's wrong. He's wrong. He thinks that the people he sees are completely satisfied. They got no pains unto death. Okay? Their bodies are fat and sleek. So they, they, they have everything that they think they want. Listen to Proverbs 27, verse 20. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. Death and destruction, never satisfied, neither are human eyes. The psalmist thinks that this person who has, has enough to where they're satisfied, and God has told us that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. The psalmist also thinks that nothing goes wrong with them. They are not in any trouble as others are. They don't have any trouble. That is not true. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Jesus said, For God makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. People have good and bad that come into their life whether they are a good or bad person or not. Everybody has struggles. Everybody. The psalmist is wrong. He thinks, and this is what an envious person thinks, he thinks if he just had that thing, He'd be satisfied. I mean, I've heard us all say it. You know, the lottery's up to whatever, you know, 1.5 gabooble dollars, whatever it is, okay? Some huge amount of money. And I know what we all say. Well, if I won that lottery, let me tell you, I'd feed the poor, and I'd give it to churches, and I'd give it to ministries, and you've got all these things that you would do if you had all that money. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. It's not true that if you had this thing, you would be satisfied. This is the lie of envy. It's the lie of coveting. Bait number two, moving along, verse six. Look look what happens here. This is really interesting. Verse number six. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Let me just say a word about this. Violence covers them as a garment. In Malachi 2.16, you can look at that later. This is a euphemism, this is a Hebrew euphemism for adultery and sexual sin. Okay? Violence covers them as a garment. In Malachi 2, this is used to speak of a man who did not honor his marriage. Okay? So let's just read through these and think about what we have here. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their heartness overflows with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongues stretch through the earth. You know what you have here? Eight of the ten commandments violated. You've got eight of the ten commandments 
violated. Here's what the psalmist is thinking. The second bait is this. They're somehow protected from their unrighteousness. They just live any old way they want to, and they're protected from it. Look at it here. You say, where is that at? Pride is their necklace. There is no God but one. That's the first commandment. Pride is a violation of there's only one God. Okay? Violence covers them as a garment. This is a sexual euphemism. We're to honor marriage according to the Ten Commandments. Their eyes swell with fatness. What is that? They're taking for themselves. They're stealing for themselves and consuming to excess. Okay? Follies. What is that? That's words that come out of your mouth. They're lying. They're just, you know, they, 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 just, they just speak whatever they want to and there seems to be no ramifications. They scoff and they speak malice. We are called to not take the name of the Lord in vain to scoff against Him. They have oppression. They practice oppression. That is murder and violence. Against heaven they speak. That is the very essence of what idolatry is. And finally, they strut around the earth, thumbing their nose at authorities. They're living in violation to everything God says, and it seems to go fine with them. This is where we go. This is where we go. And the last bait, 73.10, look at this. Therefore, His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Not only are they prosperous, not only do they seem to be protected, but they're also popular. Popular. Everybody flocks behind them. Buddy, if you want to be popular, just get some money and be protected from the, the woes of your life. You know, go ahead and, and just don't get in trouble and have lots of money and you'll be popular. It's a recipe for popularity. You know what? This is the reality of this world. You say, oh, thanks, thanks, Lowell. Amen. We'll see you all later, right? This is the reality. We, we can't lie to one another. I know there are many people today trying to tell us, if you just live for God, you'll get stuff. Just honor God. He'll bless you. That's a lie. And it's drawn upon our covetous, envious heart and trying to manipulate people into maybe coming to church or, or giving offering or buying books or whatever. It's an effort to manipulate and it, it's wrong. And it gets even worse. There's good coming. I hope you'll stay with me, okay? There's good coming. Look at verse 11. Now the problem is, is I mean, it's widely there for double-minded men, but we even see a, a bigger problem because it's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of the heart. Verse number 11. And they say, these people who see them and are drawn to them, look what they say. How can God know? What good is God? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? In other words, this person's heart, Asaph now himself has fallen into this. Believers fall into this and they think, God, your character cannot be trusted. You are not good to your children. You are not a good father. You do not give us what we deserve or what we, what, we, what we need, I mean to say. You do not give us the things that we need. Your character is faulty, God. It's a problem of the heart. And it spreads. And they say, it's plural now, covetousness and envy spreads. 
As you are covetous, the people around you will be as well. See, it happened here to the psalmist. And even worse than that is it affects your very soul. Look at verse number 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Look where he goes. Hear the attack on God. In vain I've kept my heart clean. Following you meant nothing, God. You've done me dirty. You gave me the the short end of the stick. You didn't come through on your bargain. And I washed my hands of innocence. I did this and I shouldn't have. Well, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. And if I, if, I would, if I told, what, number, number 15? If I had said, I would speak thus, I would betray the generation of your children. Here's what he's saying. And if I let anybody know the envious, covetous nature of my heart, it'd be even worse than I can ever imagine. I mean, it is, it is painting a very bleak scene right now. And this, where we're at right now is why I looked forward to talking about envy. Because I know, I know, your news feed, it grabs you. Or if you're 15 years younger, your Instagram, whatever, it grabs you. Or Snapchat or Bing Bang or whatever it's called now, okay? And you see that and you post that to envy, to boast, to covet. And you ask this question, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do with envy? Listen, the only hope you have of envy, if somebody offers you a little, you know, a little nugget or a little truth or a little secret to deal with envy, please walk away from them because they're lying to you. There is no secret. I've got no nugget of truth. I've got no 12-step plan. I've got no form of moralism to deal with envy. Here is how you deal with envy. It is in verse number 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, that's it. That's it. The only way you deal with envy, the only way that you are released from envy, is you pray the prayer that God taught you to pray. Deliver us from evil. The only solution to envy is Christ. Is Christ. When you see these things that are calling you to envy, when you're riding through the neighborhood and you see the house, or when you're walking through Walmart and you see this, or when you're walking at the gym and you see her, when you are being drawn to covet and to envy, you confess it as sin now. Now. Oh God, you pray like this man falling into the sanctuary. Do you see him? He's crawling into the presence of God. He's crawling into the throne room of God. He's so beaten down by envy. He's so broken down by envy. He has bitten every bait. And he's been trapped in it hard. And he's crawling to the presence of God and saying, Oh God, deliver me. Deliver me. I don't want this envy. I'm tired of envy. I'm tired of coveting. Deliver me from it. 
And boom! The supernatural Spirit of God delivers us from evil. Say, Lord, it, it can't be that easy. It, it can't be as easy as to confess your sins to God and let Him cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It can't be that easy. It can't be so easy that He sanctifies us by His truth. can't be that easy. It can't be so easy that He delivers us from evil. can't be that easy. Folks, all I'm doing is quoting Scripture to you. That's all I'm doing. So when you say it can't be that easy, you're responding to God. The only, the only solution to envy is the Gospel. Is the presence of God. It's approaching God in your spirit and allowing Him to write you. By the way, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. The sin of covetousness, the sin of coveting, was worthy of death. Your death. Yours. And when Jesus went to the cross... It was no easy task. It wasn't easy for him to do that. When he was separated from the Father, it wasn't easy. When God raised him from the dead, he brought victory over sin, including the sin of coveting in envy. Are you willing to admit that it's wrong? You can read through the rest of the psalm. I'm out of time. But from here out, all it does is share what the heart is of a new man. But in reality, it all comes down to verse 16 and 17. So the call here is to first recognize the evilness of our envy and our covetousness. As I said, Colossians 3 calls it idolatry. It is idolatry. To look at something, to want it, you cannot have it, and so you desire it strongly to where even the character of God is questioned. And then you see the owner, and you have feelings of hatred towards them. It's idolatry. And the only hope that an idolatrous people like us have is the gospel of Jesus Christ i got a verse I think up on the screen here for you. I want to read it, though, in context. I'm going to read verses 3 to 7. I think I have 6 and 7 on the screen, so listen carefully. Paul writes, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. You see, if I gave you any other help with envy other than the gospel, that's nothing but pride and nothingness. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's a form of moralism to try to make, you know, I could t we can talk about how starving children, you know, they don't have food and you've got a house. That's not going to slay envy and you know it. You can say that to your kids, but it's not going to work. 
Okay? You can, you can tell yourself, well, at least I've got a car. I can get to work and it's got four wheels. That's not going to slay envy and you know it. You can tell yourself, well, I've got a house and it's got a roof. It's not going to slay envy. You can say, I'll get a second job and a third job and I'll earn more money and then I can buy the things that I want and then I won't be envious. That's not going to do it. It's not. That's pride and nothingness. The only solution to sin is the gospel. So it goes on. He has, now listen to this person who has this other method, okay, who has this other means. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words and they do nothing but produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of truth. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's the gain. There's the gain. When God does a supernatural work in your heart, in your intimacy with Christ, and gives you a satisfaction with what He has provided, it's a God thing. It's a Gospel thing. I might have bait and switched you. You might have thought I had some little you know, secret sauce to make your envy go away. Just put a couple drops on it. No, that's not it. As long as you live in this world, you're going to have tribulation. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Jesus also said that this world is run by a thief. The power over this world is Satan himself. And one of his means is to stir up in us envy and covetousness that attacks the very nature of God. And as long as you're in this flesh suit, as long as you're in this thing made of of the earth, you're going to have to depend upon God to slay this dragon of envy. Let's pray to Him. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this truth. Lord, that You have brought victory to Your children. Lord, we are sinners in need of grace every day. The Gospel didn't end the day that I got saved. Lord, I still need Your grace today. God, by Your grace, deliver us from envy and from covetousness because it's making us miserable. It's causing us to have great misery, Lord. Sadness and destruction. It's driving us to places that attack You. That attack those that we love. It's dragging those that we love into more envy and more coveting. So God, deliver us from this evil. Deliver us from this temptation. And even though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of this death, we don't have to fear any evil. Because You're with us. And the Gospel is powerful to deliver us from the consequence of sin, from the power of sin. Thank You, Lord, for Jesus and for bringing us victory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.